Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. Fly ball into deep left center. It's at the wall. Gone! Dylan Carlson, home run number 17. His 52nd extra base hit in his rookie season to tie Stan the man and what he did in his rookie year. Carlson hits it into deep right and his second home run. Dylan Carlson, home run number 18. He's homered from both sides of the plate. What a talent. Can he end it here? Swing and a miss. Ball gets away from Kisner. He'll tag Wong. And the Cardinals take two of three. And they win it by the final of four to three today. Fun day at the ballpark yesterday. Cardinals win it four to three. They win the series. They also won the uh, season series against the Milwaukee Brewers. 11 games to eight. Danny Mac show on a Friday as the final weekend of the regular season is upon us. I'm Dan McLaughlin. That's BK. And good morning, BK. How are we doing? I'm great, Dan. Getting ready for the final weekend of the Cardinals regular season. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. How about Dylan Carlson? He becomes the first rookie in AL National League history as well to homer from each side of the plate twice in a single season. And they both have come this month. Yesterday, both came on the first pitch. He's up to 18. Now, he's not going to catch Albert Pujols for the uh, all-time rookie record history for extra base hits, but he passed Stan the man. And that should put in perspective the kind of year that he's had. It hasn't been one that you go, oh, my goodness, it's been unbelievable. But it hasn't been where you go, oh, it's just been awful. I, I think he's like Steady Eddie, man. He, he's When I watch him, I'm just like, how, how is he? I mean, think about when you were 22 and watch how he carries himself on the field, his mannerisms, the way that he takes pitches, his approach. He's a very good plus defender in right field specifically. The sky is the limit for this kid, man. He is going to be some kind of player in let's say even next year, two, three years, four years. I mean, he's going to be a superstar potentially. I think we kind of underrate what he's done as a rookie. I do too. And I think the expectations were placed so high that we just had unrealistic goals for what he you was heard going so much to about be this him, year. You know, that, and, and you saw last year, he, he finished the year, remember, batting cleanup. So yep. expectations were very, very high. And the name Albert Pujols was inserted into the conversation around him, which means that we get unreal expectations. But in his last 25 games in particular, Dan, he's really Really, he's heated up a lot, especially with the power. He's batting 276 in that stretch with a 530 slugging percentage. That's good for an 850 OPS. That's damn good. Yesterday, he had the two home run day in his last eight games. Now, if you're looking at the power, a couple doubles, triple, three home runs, slugging 885 in that stretch. Here's a question for you, Dan. Is he the type of guy that you expect to be, not expect, that you think could be, an X factor for the Cardinals offensively in the playoffs. Yeah, why not? The reason why I ask is just because I feel like he is the type of hitter that succeeds in the postseason. He is a guy that, depending on the situation, he will change his approach. If he's got a runner on third with one out, he's getting that guy in. He's going to hit the sack fly to right. 
if he has a runner on second with two outs. He's going to try to drive it to the gap. If they need a big swing, he's the type of player, as we saw yesterday, that can provide that. I think Dylan Carlson is the exact type of hitter right now that would succeed in a playoff setting. I wonder what he's going to look like in the postseason. He's a guy that I'm excited to watch. Yeah, I, I am too. And in, in the postseason, anything can happen, right, with certain guys that maybe you wouldn't expect to step up and take their game to another level, i.e. David Freeze. Um, but I would say, I said this on the morning show, you know the guy that I really want to see just go off, and it would be the icing on the cake of his first year in St. Louis Arnado. is Nolan Arnato. Yep. He's had a great year. And this weekend, he's got a chance to set the third baseman all-time home run total for a single year by a Cardinal if he can get to his 35th. He's at 34. He's tied. He's at least part of that record with Scott Rowland and Fernando Tatis. I'd love to see him set that record. That would be a nice early, uh, you know, first season of, of a, what should be a long-term association with the Cardinals. He's had a great year. He's driven in over 100. I think he'll win his ninth gold glove. And if he could go off, man, you go, that's why he was here. He's already done it in the regular season, and then you add to it because he even said, this is why I'm here. I want to go to postseason play. But I think at any, I, I like what you're thinking there, and, and it makes sense, um, and see how it plays out. You know, obviously, you got to have a long run. It's not just about the one game coming up. Got to win that game and, and see where you, you fall after that. But absolutely, his approach, and it goes back to, I think what I'm saying is that he's 22 and doesn't carry himself mentally, physically, approach, body mannerisms, all that stuff as a 22-year-old kid. He's been outstanding in his first full season in the big leagues yeah not at all and one thing that really stands out to me is you look at the strikeout numbers like he's he's a guy that's not striking out a ton relative to league average now compared to the guys that were playing in the 80s yeah he strikes out a lot but this is the era that he's playing in guys are throwing 100 coming out of the bullpen it's a little different hitting right now and he strikes out 24 percent of the time for a rookie that's exceptional dan and so when when you look at what that means for the postseason uh, maybe I have an old school mindset of what plays there, but that's the style of hitter that I would anticipate doing well, because when you get to the playoffs, you're only seeing the best pitchers. This slop that you see at times where the Pirates are throwing out a guy that's never thrown in the big leagues before he throws 92 and he's never going to have a major league career. You're not going to see that at any point in time in the playoffs. You're getting the best of the best for whoever you're going up against. I think Carlson's the type of guy that can succeed against those types of pitchers. So home runs from both sides of the plate yesterday for Dylan Carlson. What about his approach on both sides of the plate? Uh, yeah, there's a little bit of a difference. There's some things I do good. Uh, I do better right-handed than I do left-handed, vice versa as well. So, And also taking into account what the pitchers got. So kind of matching my strengths with what they got. And always playing to my strengths, kind of how I do it. So what's his comfort level going into postseason and this weekend? I'm just, at this point, just looking for something over the plate that I can handle, trying to put good swings on balls, just trying to be consistent out there and just so happen to be on the first pitch both times today. I got something I could handle. Got something he could handle, and obviously that was big yesterday. Now moving forward, some of the questions that need to be answered for the Cardinals this weekend. I think it starts with the first pitch of the ball game uh, tonight. You're talking about Dakota Hudson, and where does he fall into what's going on uh, moving forward? So if if you get a good outing, and he's been stretched out as a starter, and I thought he looked really good the other day against the Cubs. I mean, he his stuff played. 
Is he your game one starter potentially if you move on after the play-in game? I could see it. I can make a case for it. Um, and he's a guy that uh, I'm, I'm going to be watching intently here tonight. That's a big start for he and the Cardinals. I think it all depends on the wild card game. And hear me out on this. The reason why I say that is because my expectation going into that is that Adam Wainwright's going to be great. And he's going to, he leads all of baseball since the start of the 2020 season in quality starts. So I'm expecting another quality start out of Adam Wainwright, but you're going up against the Dodgers. And if things get hairy early on, Dakota Hudson would be the long guy that I'm going to in that game. And I know that might change things for what you're expecting in the NLDS starter wise, but he's the guy that I trust the most to come out of there and give you innings. So if you have to use him there, maybe that changes what your plan is for the NLDS, but you got to get there first. If you don't use him in the wild card game, it's Hammer John Lester for me that are starting game two in the NLD or game one rather in the NLDS. And the other guy I would probably go game two in the NLDS. What about Michaelis? Where do you got him? He's got to be thrown. Actually, you know what? <laughs> Thinking on the fly last, here. Last couple starts, I like He's what I'm seeing. He's been great. Yeah. And his velocity is up a tick. He's getting the ground balls, which are what you expect out of Michaelis when he's throwing well. I'm going to flip what I just said. Okay. I think Lester, do that. Lester might actually be my fourth starter right now. I would probably well, go Hudson and or Michaelis as my 2-3 after Wayno, And then Lester would be my my four. Well, I, I can make a case for that. I also can make a case if they said... Hey, John Lester's going in game one or two yeah. because his resume speaks to big game pitcher, and he's been a different pitcher with the Cardinals. That's why this weekend is also important to find out about John Lester, who starts on Saturday. Yeah, where's he at health-wise? He's been pushed back, obviously did not look healthy coming out of the, the ball game against the Cubs at Wrigley the other day. Um, and when I say that, I just say it because they were looking at it you know, with the medical team coming out to to visit with him, he stayed in for one more batter, got the out, came out, and then a long conversation in the dugout with Maddox and Shield and the medical team there. Then you push him back. So read the tea leaves. He's probably dealing with something. So tomorrow night is a, a start that you have to look at John Lester and see how does the stuff playing. And if it plays well, then you rethink of what you're doing. One thing that will help the Cardinals potentially if things stay as they are right now, it looks like the Giants are probably going to win the NL West. And if they do up by two at three to play NL NLDS will be played in St. Louis and in San Francisco, both of which are home run suppressing ballparks, which helps the Cardinals pitching staff because Especially a guy like Jay Happ, Jay Happ, John Lester, Adam Wainwright. That's that's one of the only things that's really hurt them this year is they've let up the long ball at times. So if you are able to play San Francisco, and in uh, St. Louis, you don't have to worry too much about the home road splits. You can just go with whoever you think are the best pitchers. Yeah. Uh, the other things I'm looking at this weekend, as it pertains to the roster of the St. Louis Cardinals, got to see Edmundo Sosa get some ground balls. How's he throwing the baseball? How's he swinging the bat? Uh, was at the ballpark yesterday early. They were hitting ground balls to short. Now, he was just flipping to second. I didn't pay attention as to whether or not he was going to throw to first, but they were working on double plays. And the idea there, obviously, keep him sharp on some ground balls. So he's got to get some time this weekend. And the other thing is Yachty. Uh, getting Yachty back out there, how does uh, he feel physically and uh, and seeing what takes place there. Do you want to give Wayno an inning to keep him on turn and make sure that he feels good? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's something to think about. I mentioned on the, the morning show, there are times when Wayno's gotten a lot of rest in his career and it hasn't been the best yeah. thing for him. However, we're talking about a guy that has given you a ton of innings. He's 40. 
and it's a different time and era, you know, so maybe that's something to, to keep in mind. And I, I, I've been talking about this a couple of different times. Matt Carpenter this weekend on the sentimentality of it. Great player. Final weekend. Love to see a nice send off for him. Maybe play, playing his final three games at Bush Stadium this weekend. Could be the case because you go out to Dodger Stadium if that's who they play and you lose and the season's over. So this could be it for him. Um, Mike Shannon's final weekend behind the, the mic at, uh, at Bush Stadium for regular season play. Obviously had some comments that made some news yesterday. Uh, and the uh, organization addressed it immediately and shot it down. But to the bigger point, looking forward to seeing yeah. you know what the club has planned for Mike Shannon. Uh, there's some events uh, before the game, I believe, on Sunday. Uh, there's the, the T-shirt giveaway with Mike. There's a private party after the game is a retirement party. So looking forward to that. Had a lot of fun with Mike over the years, which I talked about in a long segment with uh, uh, Michelle. So a lot of different things happening at the ballpark. Also mention this too. Um, Joe West could be his final games that he ever umpires. And he's the all-time leader in games umpired. Jerry Davis, who is a St. Louis native, umpired a game the other night here at Bush Stadium, did not umpire yesterday. I don't think he's going to umpire tonight or tomorrow. If my math is correct, he would then on Sunday. And that would give the native of St. Louis 5,000 games umpired. That's awesome. So that's pretty cool, too. So there's a lot of things that happen at the ballpark that make it a lot of fun in the final weekend of the regular season. Yeah, looking forward to it all. I want to hone in on what you said about Adam Wainwright and the potential innings for this weekend. We talked yesterday with uh, Brian Price, the former manager and pitching coach for the Cincinnati Reds, because I wanted to get his perspective on what you do to manage your pitching staff going into a situation like this, where it's a whole, all hands on deck in the wild card game. And you do have that decision with a guy like Adam Wainwright. Do you pitch him this weekend? Do you just get him side work? How do you, how do you work that? And he said, listen, with a guy like Wayno, you just ask him, like, what do you want? Exactly. Do, do you want to pitch this weekend? Do you just want to do stuff on the side? Like you typically would. How are you feeling right now? And if Wayno tells you he wants to go out there and get a couple of innings in, then you, you give him the innings because Wayno knows his body as well as anybody. He's been in these spots before. If it was, I'm trying to think of a guy that would, Alex Reyes, for example, next year, he was in a similar spot and he became the number one starter for the Cardinals. That would be a situation where the organization might be making the decision for him. So it's a little different depending on the veteran versus the rookie or early early tenure starter. And with Adam Wainwright, he knows his body as well as anybody. So sure. I think we'll know this weekend what Wayno decided to do, not so much what the organization decided. Boy, how much money is uh, Luis Garcia made himself and TJ McFarland? Uh, those guys are are integral parts of what's happening with the Cardinals. Um, I will say this, though. they I, If I have the defense that I have behind me in St. Louis, if all things are equal, I'm coming back to St. Louis. I'm yeah. saying, man, this is a place I want to be. They found something in me. Yachty saw something. Mike Maddox did. Maybe Mike Schilt. But I do know this. If the ball is in play, my best chance to get out is right here in St. Louis. And I think the, the guys that would be at the front of the list saying absolutely is Jay Happ and John Lester. They have benefited by playing in St. Louis. No by the doubt way, about it. on Luis Garcia in particular, I do want to make sure we give credit to this coaching staff and maybe Yadier Molina as well, whoever decided right. to I do mean, this. Or the front office for seeing things. Absolutely. So Luis Garcia previously, prior to this year, was a big-time four-seamer guy. He yep. was coming high and with the four-seam heat. 
He's completely ditched the four-seam fastball. We've seen it one time in his Cardinals career. And basically since that Cubs blow up that we saw, he's been one of the best relievers in all of baseball because of the two-seam fastball, the sinker that he's now throwing, Dan. Opposing hitters can't hit it. They're batting 171 against him. He has 31 strikeouts. He was throwing his four-seam fastball about 40% of the time prior to coming to St. Louis. And he's got a nasty slider. That that never left. And now he's throwing the sinker about 40% of the time. And guys just can't get a hold of it. He's throwing 98 to 100 miles an hour with it. It is a heavy sinker. And it's been a huge change that... If you were a Cardinals fan and earlier this year, you were very critical, and I understand it, of Mike Maddox and this coaching staff. This is an example of what they've done to change around a guy that is a veteran. Luis Garcia is 34 years old. He's been around the block, and they've made him more effective by a simple change going from the four seam to the sinker ball. And that's been a huge part of his success this year. Now, I know we got to wrap up. One of the things, though, if you're in a front office or management in any sport, you can't fall in love with with players especially relievers yes and so that's something to keep in mind would it make sense to bring these guys back sure i mean they've had great success and a great example of what i'm talking about is the 06 team so they kept the 06 team and they waited too long you can't fall in love with you know you win a championship i get it you want to roll it back but baseball is as we saw this year, man, is it fluid with with spots. So it's something to think of about going forward. 2021 Luis Garcia is why you don't pay 2022 Luis Garcia. These guys are always available. It's a matter of finding them. It's easier said than done. I totally understand that. But guys that are out there that throw hard, that can potentially throw strikes for you if you make a couple of tweaks here and there, those guys are always out there. And Luis Garcia is going to get potentially paid this offseason. Sure. Are you going to be the one that ends up giving that money to him? I don't know, Dan. I don't know. It, it, it's a dicey proposition, but I'm glad they have him for the here and now for this potential playoff run. Joe Posnanski is coming up, one of the great uh, sports writers in our country, and he's got a new book out. We'll talk about that next. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. That's Danny Mac. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is the Danny Mac show here on 101 ESPN. And right now we are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to talk to a man that I believe to be one of the best baseball writers in the country. He is Joe Poznanski joining us here on 101 ESPN. And he has a new book that is officially out. We were able to get an advanced copy of it. It is tremendous. It is called the baseball 100. It is out now. You can find it on his Twitter page at Jay Poznanski. That's where you can find the link to purchase it. Joe, we sincerely Sincerely appreciate the time today. How are you doing, my friend? I am doing great. How are you guys? Doing very well. So I'd I'd like to start a little open-ended with you. Where did the idea come from to write about 100 best baseball players that have played in this league? Where did this come from, and what was the research like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's an old idea for me. I mean, look, it's an old idea. I think a lot of people have counted down the greatest players, but... For me, it started, you know, a decade ago on my blog. I, I just thought, oh, I came up with a little formula. It would be fun to count down the 100 greatest players. Uh, but then once I started doing it, I realized, because I was just going to do it and have like a couple of paragraphs about each player, just letting you know a little something. And and uh, that was not that was not right. It didn't feel right. It, I felt like I wanted to write at length about each of these players. And so over the years, 
it developed into something, and and then you end up with a nine hundred page uh, baseball book uh, where where you really really go into into very very deep uh, dives on all one hundred players. So uh, so that was how it started for me. The the research was. Uh, incredible, uh, you know. Obviously, I've I've got a a lifetime of of, of being a baseball fan and uh, many many years of being a baseball writer. So I had a lot of places to start, but it was going back to old newspapers and 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 old old interviews and and reading books and I mean, it was it was pretty intensive to get this thing done. How tough is it to compare eras when you do something like this? It is tough. Well, it's impossible. I mean, you know, when you really think about it, it's very difficult to to try to imagine what uh, Walter Johnson would be like today, or what uh, or what Max Scherzer would have been like in 1920. I mean, it's just obviously very, very different. But I think what you do is you compare people against their time, and then you sort of figure out uh, the best you can. And and I had some some really good help on this from a statistical standpoint, a guy named. Tom Tango, uh, who's this uh, brilliant uh, statistician, to try to figure out exactly what that era was like, what the level of competition was like, uh, and then try to try to place each person in their time. Because it is difficult, not only because the game has changed, but obviously before Jackie Robinson and after Jackie Robinson are two different, very, very different eras with very, very different players. And even beyond that, after Roberto Clemente and, and, and when you know, Latin American players really started coming into the game, uh, it's changed a lot. And the competition level has changed a lot. So trying to figure that out, but really comparing people against their own time is, is, is where you start. Joe, I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler alert for the book, but Willie Mays came in at number one on your baseball 100. Babe Ruth was number two. For a lot of people, they would have Babe Ruth at the top of this list. What 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 led to you going with Willie Mays at the top spot? Yeah, I mean, look, you can you can certainly argue it both ways uh, for sure. And uh, you're right; a lot of people uh, are not that happy with me for putting uh, uh, Babe Ruth number two. Everybody's happy with Willie Mays. Nobody nobody has said to me like, "Oh my gosh, what a terrible choice, Willie Mays number one." But I wanted Babe Ruth number two, uh, number one. Uh, you know, for all the reasons that are obvious, he dominated his era uh, unlike anybody else. He was a great pitcher before he was a great hitter. You know, we all know the the Babe Ruth story. But for me. Uh, I think Willie Mays is sort of the essence of baseball. I, I mean, you know, I think he's the greatest center fielder to ever play this game. He had one of the greatest arms. He was one of the greatest base runners. He's one of the greatest hitters and one of the greatest power hitters. There was literally nothing he could do uh, on the field. And he did it all with this, with this, you know, joy and enthusiasm and love of the game that, that, that came through, you know, the hat flying off when he chased after a fly ball and, and the whole say, Hey kid thing, hitting stick ball in the street with kids. And it was, he is to me, the very essence of baseball. So for me, he's my number one. Joe, it's kind of interesting. It's almost like the Hall of Fame debate when you get into Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, those type of players that would, you know, normally make a list like this. How did you take that into account when you decided to come up with the top 100? Uh, they are on this list very much, and they're very high on this list. In fact, higher than I imagine most people uh, or many people would like to see them. But I looked at it. This is not for me. This is not the Hall of Fame. I mean, the Hall of Fame, I am a Hall of Fame voter, and and you know there there are so many other elements that go into that. Uh, to me, this is this is history, and this is uh, trying to look at the greatest players uh, in the history of the game. 
I think that, that the whole steroid thing does play a role for sure. It's not like, you know, if, 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 if you take Barry Bonds numbers completely seriously, he might be the greatest player who ever lived, right? I mean, if you take the, if you, if you look, he was he was so good at the end that they that people just simply didn't pitch to him. I mean, he intentionally walked 120 times in a season. Huh. At some point, they just gave up. They just gave up on him. So, so if you take that all completely uh, 100 uh, percent, you know, as legitimate, then then you know you could put him at number one. If you if you take none of it as legitimate, then you don't put him in the Hall of Fame. I've tried to find a place uh, for him uh, and Clemens and A-Rod. And, I mean, you know, the, these were, to me, these were some of the all-time great players and, and uh, uh, despite everything. Joe Poznanski is our guest here on 101 ESPN. His book, The Baseball 100, is out now. You can find it wherever books are sold. Joe, one thing that I love about your list is that you have two prominent Negro League players in the top 10, Oscar Charleston at number five and Satchel Paige at number 10 on this list. It's one thing, as Dan mentioned, to look at the different eras. It's another thing entirely to try to compare uh, the Negro Leagues versus the majors then versus the majors now. What was that process like for you to go through Satchel Page, who is incredible, and obviously Oscar Charleston as well, to put them into your top ten? Yeah, I mean, there are a bunch of Negro Leaguers on this list. Um, you know, that for me, I think some people might know that that's obviously been a very personal uh, thing for me through the years. I'm very close to uh, you know, Bob Kendrick and the guys over at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City. Uh, so it's something I took very, very seriously. And, and I took it very seriously on both ends. Uh, I took it very seriously that I wanted to uh, honor uh, the greatest Negro Leagues players uh, in the list. But at the same time, I absolutely did not want to put anybody on this list that didn't belong. And I didn't want to put anybody higher on this list than, than is legitimate. So, you know, Oscar Charleston has been called the greatest player who ever lived by many, many, many people, including my old friend Buck O'Neill. Um, and I think number five is a great place for him. That's, that's, that's where I feel. I feel very confident. I, I, I feel strongly enough that I could defend that to, to, uh, to the very end. And the same, and Satchel Page is, you know, he's, he's number 10 on this list. He's my number two pitcher. Uh, again, I, I don't know that anybody who has been around the game, who was around Satchel Page, who saw him pitch, um, would argue with that. So, so that was really important to me. It, it, it had to be, I, I wanted those players on the list because I think they were the greatest players uh, who ever lived and not for any other reason. I'm curious about, as you are on St. Louis radio, as you well know, in a great baseball town, uh, Stan, the man, Lou Brock, Bob yeah. Gibson. Uh, I'm sure there's some guys from the gas house gang, maybe, but uh, the St. Louis flavor to this. Well, you have Oscar Charleston who played here in the Negro leagues, but I am curious about uh, what you have from the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh yeah. There's plenty of, there's plenty of St. Louis uh, in the book. Uh, I, Sam Musial's top 10 in my list. And, and, you know, that's, I think where a lot of people would probably put him, maybe, you know, I've seen in most lists, he's probably in the more in the second 10, but I think Stan Musial was not only, you know, the, the perfect night and everything else that people have said about him. Uh, I think he was underrated. Uh, you know, in history, I, I was really fortunate enough a few years ago to do a, a cover story for, about him for Sports Illustrated and the Where Are They Now and 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 just really got to dive in uh, to, to get a, understand Stan the Man. And, uh, you know, he he just did everything. I mean, he was, 
he really was the National League's Ted Williams and, and was just an extraordinary hitter in, in every possible way. Uh, Bob Gibson, super high. But, you know, you, you, you forgot. I didn't, you didn't forget. I know nobody forgot. But in the middle, between those two, between uh, Bob Gibson and, and Stan Musial, is, uh, uh, to me, one of the truly iconic players in the history of St. Louis, and that's Albert Pujols. And, uh, and you know, it's it's really bittersweet here at the end watching him uh you know coming into his last playoffs his last games as a major leaguer it's been so long since he's been in st louis and so long since he was a truly great player but i know that everybody in st louis remembers when albert pools was as good as has ever played the game for sure one of the guys that we did not mention there when it comes to the st louis flares rogers hornsby and i believe him to be one of the more underrated cardinals in team history and you have him in your top 20 so he's certainly not underrated by you uh, what, what is most amazing about him to you because I, I loved reading about his personality specifically in your in your piece yeah he wasn't he wasn't necessarily the best guy in the world but what a hitter, right? I mean, it just, I think that's what it comes down to. He was just, uh, you know, what, whatever Babe Ruth was doing in the American League, Hornsby was, was doing in the National League. I mean, he wasn't hitting quite the same number of home runs, but he was hitting 400, and he was, he was uh, you know, hitting plenty of home runs and driving the ball. I mean, he was, he was as great a hitter as anybody of that era, and uh, just a force, an absolute force, and and difficult. You know, I mean, kind of Ty Cobb like in that way. It was he was difficult, and 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 people didn't like him, and and they didn't like him as a manager later, and uh, so so I think that has led to him being somewhat underrated in 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 many ways. And and but he, but he was he was some kind of hitter. Absolutely. Uh, what? How did analytics play a role in, in trying to put this together? We always hear about analytics now, and you can do analytics on players from a latter year, but uh, how much did you get into that and looking at the advanced metrics of the game? It's where it started. It's where this, that's where this entire list started. I, I worked with, with uh, Tom Tango, who is the guy who invented Winspub replacement, and we created a, a formula, a, a statistical formula that sort of took into account the things that that i love about the game that that uh, i think matter most um you know how well-rounded a player is the their peak versus their career value things like that and we came up with a list and and that list is not this list it the, the I, I definitely, uh, you know, because there were no Negro leaguers on that list. There, you know, there's a Japanese player on this list. Um, things moved around some, but that's where this whole thing started. Was definitely with a with a really detailed statistical breakdown of the players and and their eras, and then I worked off of that. So so it it definitely started um, with the stats, and and then and then it was all about putting the heart in it. Joe, I'm going to ask you for a little bit of projection here. If you were doing this same project 20 years from now, who are some of the current players that you think would be getting more consideration for the baseball 100? Well, I've thought a lot about it. I'm glad. I'm really glad you asked me that because I'm going to tell you the first name that comes to mind is Juan Soto. Uh, he's, this is only his, what, third year, third or fourth year, I guess, in the big leagues. So it's way too early. He's only 22 years old, I guess. And... But what a hitter. I mean, just, just he is Ted Williams in a modern day. I, it's, it's stunning. I was looking at his numbers yesterday, and I think at that point he had 140 walks and 86 strikeouts. That doesn't happen anymore. That just does not. It's not possible. In, in, in this era of exploding sliders and 100-mile-an-hour fastballs, it's not possible to be as good as he is, I don't think. So uh, he's definitely a guy that will be on this list 
uh, I think, uh, you know, I mean, obviously we are projecting. I mean, I think you can look at guys like Fernando Tatis and Ronald Acuna Jr. and, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and some of the younger guys like that. Um, there are quite a few active players on this list, and I, I don't know where they'll end up. I don't know how high Mike Trout will go. He was pretty high on my list. Uh, Max Scherzer is on my list. Clayton Kershaw um, is on this list. You know, Zach Greinke is a guy that just missed the list, and he seems to be adding still to his to his legacy. So there's a guy that could could get there. But you know, it's it, I think it's I, I don't know. I'm really curious if you know we do this thing again in, in 15 years, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it is. I'll be old. I'm old now, <laughs> so uh, I don't I don't know if I'll make it. But but if I did, I would be curious how much this list would change. I think it would change quite a lot. We saw Ozzie Smith up close here in St. Louis, and many people consider him the greatest defensive shortstop uh, that ever played the game. So I'm curious, and not necessarily with Ozzie, but when you looked at this, and you mentioned Willie Mays in center, but other guys, you know, you just look at the offensive numbers and you say, oh, that's a great player. How much did defense come into this in trying to evaluate your top 100? Very much so. Very, very much so. I mean, that was one of the things that I talked about with Tom when we first started was that I really wanted well-rounded players sure. on the list. That they're going to be they're going to be some players who did one thing extremely well, of course. But I really wanted well-rounded players, and I can tell you, Ozzie Smith is on the list. I mean, he to me, his defense. I think you're right. I mean, I think he is the greatest defensive shortstop to ever play the game, and and I think that his defense was so. It was so it changed the game so much. I mean, and you can see it in the numbers. You, I mean, obviously, we all saw it, you know, up close when we we saw it with our hearts. But the numbers of assists this guy would have in a year, they're, they're, those records are never going to get broken. I mean, it was it was truly, truly staggering how great he was. So yeah, I mean, he's he's on this list. Brooks Robinson is on this list. Willie Mays is on this list. Roberto Clemente is on this list. Johnny Bench is on this list. I mean, I think the greatest defensive players pretty much at every position um, uh, uh, tends to be on this list. I'm curious then. He's got one more year to go, we think. Um, but who knows when it's uh, when you're talking about Yadier Molina. I, I'm very curious about where he finishes up among the all-time great catchers. Uh, clearly one of the best defensive catchers that ever played yeah. the game. And now he's well above 2,000 hits, and his offense needs to be talked about with the doubles and the amount of hits and so on and so forth, and his postseason hits, too. And that's another part right. of this. So I, I could, man, I could talk to you all day, Joe. Um, so I'm curious about like postseason success and also potentially Yachty being on this list. Well, he's not, he's not on this list as, as currently constructed, but certainly look, he's a hall of famer. I, in, in my view, he's an absolute hall of famer. And, and, uh, you know, you start from there. Uh, postseason success was very important to me. And I think it's something weirdly that gets overlooked. Uh, when it comes to these things, because when we look at career stats, we do talk only about regular season stats, right? So we only say, well, he had 3,000 hits. Like Derek Jeter had 200 postseason hits. I mean, those those don't just disappear into the air. You know, they, they have to count. A guy like Sandy Koufax, you can't legitimately look at a career of Sandy Koufax without, you know, thinking about what he did in the postseason and, and, and how dominant he was. I think the same is true for Kurt Schilling and some others like that. So... It's very important, I think, to, to, to take into account the postseason. It's the most important time of the year. And 
you know, we don't count it for almost anything. You know, we don't count it for MVP. We don't count it for manager of the year. We don't count it for uh, rookie of the year. We don't count it for any of these things. And, and that's fine, but it, it, it does lead us, I think, to overlook how important the postseason is. Joe Poznanski is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. His new book, The Baseball 100, is out now. If you're a baseball fan in any way, shape, or form, you're interested in baseball history, you got to get this book. It is a must-purchase. Joe, I know you're probably going to do a 100 of these kinds of interviews, whether you've already done them or will do them over the next few weeks. Who's the guy that you feel like you don't have or you haven't been asked enough about that is interesting to you, whether it be because of his story or because of his numbers or his era? Who's the guy that you just loved writing about that people don't know enough about? Well, I'll give you two answers on that. There are a couple of Negro Leagues players on this list that obviously nobody's going to ask me about because people just don't even know who they are. You know, Bullet Rogan, Smokey Joe Williams in particular, those are two amazing Negro leagues baseball players that, that was a, it was such a, such a thrill for me to write about uh, that people don't know. I mean, bullet Rogan was basically Shohei Otani. I mean, that's, I don't know how much, I don't know how much cooler you can get than a guy in the twenties who was pitching uh, and hitting as, in a, as dominant a way as he was. So, so those guys, but the one that, that the, the essay that I think thrilled me the most to write, as it turned out was, was Carlton Fisk. And, and, I, you know, I obviously I knew a lot about Carlton Fisk. We all know the the game six home run he hit in '75 World Series. Uh, you know, long career, great career. But uh, you know, I really got to write about his him personally and his father and the relationship he had with his father, and that that guided me on this book. I mean, fathers and sons is a big theme of this book, and and that that sort of guided me what I wanted this book to be. Of course, it's a ranking, and it's and it's fun to argue about that. But for me, this book is really, it's my story about why I love baseball. I mean, that's, that's, that's how I view it. That's what I think it is. It's, it's 300,000 words about why I love baseball. And so to, to write about him and his father, uh, I think it was, it was really touching for me and, and, uh, and I think gave me sort of a sense of what this book really is. Did anybody surprise you when you were doing a deep dive and you go, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize <clears throat> this player is actually this good and I need to reevaluate uh, yeah, about 40 of them, I would say. Yeah, I <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I started going in really deep, like, wow, Johnny Mize was this good. You know, I mean, it's, it's just sort of how you, how you view it. But, uh, but I didn't. I didn't. I mean, you know, I didn't reevaluate in the sense of that. But I, it, was, it was, for me, in other words, you know, once I had the rankings, I had the rankings. But once I was started writing the essays, boy, that just took me on all sorts of rabbit hole dives. And, and, and uh, you know, it just took me all over the place, which was great, which is exactly why it was one of the great experiences of my life writing this book. My final question that I have for you, Joe, when you're going through a process like this, I have to imagine you've developed an arsenal of people that you can talk to with baseball conversations. Who were some of the people that you leaned on the most in, in these conversations about whether it be the rankings or just guys that played against them in their eras or guys that uh, have researched them? What were some of those conversations like and who were some of the people that you leaned on the most? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, so much of this was, was stuff. I mean, this is, this really is, a, you know, they, they say this and I, you know, it sounds like, like a uh, hype, but this really was a lifetime uh, book. I mean, this is a book that uh, I spent, you know, so, so I didn't talk specifically to Billy Williams 
for this book. But I did talk to Billy Williams about Bob Gibson and what Billy Williams told me about Bob Gibson is very much in this book. So there's so many conversations through the years that, that are involved in this book. There were certain people that I leaned on uh, to just sort of like I would, you know, I mean, some of them are writers like Bill James and, and, and Tom Tango, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, some of them are former players. There are a couple of GMs. I don't know if they'd want me to tell you who, who I was. It was sort of all background stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I talked to a lot of different people during this process and, uh, but, but this is so many conversations through, you know, the last whatever, 25, 30 years that I've been a baseball writer. Um, you know, they're, they're all in here. It's, it's, it's all, it's all a part of this book. He's Joe, Joe Poznanski. His new book is called The Baseball 100. It is out now. You absolutely have to purchase this if you are a baseball fan. You can follow him on Twitter. You can find all of the information there at Jay Poznanski, P-O-S-N-A-N-S-K-I. Joe, we always appreciate the time. I sincerely consider you to be one of the best baseball writers in the country. I grew up in Kansas City, grew up reading your work. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. It was awesome. That's great. I can't. I, I've got the book, so I'm looking forward. I'll probably page through it and thumb through it till I get to the St. Louis guys. Read that and then go through it all. That'll be my uh, one of my projects this off season. Who is your favorite former Cardinal to read about, Dan? Because it's Ooh, it's one boy. thing to say, Bass, we've done all those rankings, yeah. of course. But when you're looking into like the stories and what they were like as people, as Bob Gibson, that's your guy. Yeah. I mean, then having a chance to be around him a bunch. Um, yeah, Bob Gibson. And then, you know, hearing the stories firsthand from McCarver, you know, and finding more than what was being written about him and to hear the reality of what certain things were like and then to interview him in open settings um, of what he dealt with with racism, what he dealt with on the road, what he dealt with to uh, not be a basketball player and gravitate towards uh, uh, baseball. The stories are coming back from the broken. I mean, he's just he's to me like a mysterious, fascinating character over the years. And um, yeah, that's the guy I, I, I love to read about the most in St. Louis. I think the one thing that I have learned in my time here in St. Louis is like Kansas City is different. I grew up there and Kansas City, the history of baseball is more in the Negro League side of things sure. than it is on the Major League side of things. Especially so, with everything they've done there. It's awesome. Absolutely. So it's different there in terms of the history of baseball. But here I, I have grown to learn so much more about Stan in the six years that I've been here than anything that I would have known previously, not having been in St. Louis and hearing not just what you'll read in books, but also the conversations that I've had with you, both on and off the air, and some of the numbers that are just poetic about, hey, did you know that the guy finished with the same amount of hits on the road as he did at home? Like, those kinds of things are remarkable, and so he's he would probably be my answer to the same question. Yeah, it's uh, some of the stories that you've never heard or read, listened to, are just incredible. They're, they're unique characters in the sport and part of the great history here in St. Louis. Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. Around the big leagues we go, and we'll start with the Atlanta Braves. Exclamation point as they win the NL East. And what Riley has done, the pitch. Swing and a high fly ball. Did he get enough? McCutcheon on the run. That one's into the bullpen. The 0-2 pitch. 
the Phillies. So the Phillies officially eliminated. Now, what pertains to the Cardinals? Are they going to face the Giants or the Dodgers? We'll start with San Francisco. Another one, two. On the ground and past the reach of Smith. Giants win. Late night, Lamont does it for win number 105 on the season for the Giants. They stay two in front of the Dodgers. Okay, swings, hits a drive to left center field. Headed back toward the wall. It is gone! Mookie Betts with a leadoff home run. And he rips one down to the right field corner and deep. It's gone! Back-to-back home runs to start the ball game. It's a number five again. So the Dodgers are back by two games with three to play against San Francisco. Meanwhile, in the AL West. Correa, high fly ball, deep to left field. Carlos Correa! Three-run bomb, and the Astros out in front, three to nothing. Ground ball, Bregman on two hops. Low throw, picked by Yuli, division winners. The golden era of Astros baseball continues division title in five years. Dusty Baker, I think he will go to the Hall of Fame, should now. The only manager in Major League history to win a division title with five different teams. Meanwhile, the uh, wild card race in the American League is not settled yet. High fly ball, deep right field. Gritchick back. He's on the track. See ya. Tie game. A big home run for Rizzo. It's 250th of his career, and he probably... Just hit his biggest home run as a Yankee. 2-2. It's his seventh home run against left-handed pitching out of the 21. That one is driven out to center field and deep. Going back, Springer on the track. Looking up, see ya. Another home run for Judge. He's laying down the law in a pennant race. And the Yankees lead 3-2. Yankees win it 6-2. That's a big loss for the Blue Jays. And what about the Red Sox against the lowly Orioles? Mountcastle, drive, way back, deep left center. Gone! Three-run shot for maybe the soon-to-be American League Rookie of the Year. Number 33 for Ryan Montcastle, and the Orioles lead it 3-1. to one. So still unfinished business with the National League in terms of who the Cardinals would play, but the wild card this weekend in the American League, a lot of fun. So the Yankees up two over Boston, and Boston now tied for the second wild card spot with Seattle. Yes, the Mariners and Toronto is one game back. Remaining schedule, Yankees host the Rays, Red Sox at Washington in interleague play. The Mariners host the Angels. Joe Madden said that Shohei Otani will not pitch in that series. He's been shut down for the year, and the Blue Jays get the Orioles. So there are winnable games there for a couple of those teams. It's going to be fun. As a baseball viewer, Dan, who are you rooting for for that final spot? I think... uh... You know, Seattle is is a team that because no one expected anything and they haven't been there since 2001, I pull for them. I also think about the Blue Jays as well because of what they've been through, starting in Florida, going to Buffalo, then going to Toronto. And it was just this week that they opened it up to 30,000 fans. It's been amazing. And I think if they get in, they'll, they'll do some damage. That's the team that I would like to see just because of the stars as well. The young stars that they have on that team. I would yes. like to watch Vlad Guerrero Jr. in a playoff series. I want to see what Bo Bichette is able to do in a postseason series. Simeon, who has had an underrated, great, like all time great season for a second baseman. He's a guy that I would like to see in the postseason so that 
I think they're my team just from a pure star power perspective. But Absolutely. they're also the team that's playing the worst right now out of all of them. Well, what do you have coming up on your show with Alex Ferrario? Looking forward to it, Dan. So Ned Yost, former Royals manager, he was the winner of the 2014 wildcard game. So he's been through these situations like the Cardinals are going through right now. And he managed the Royals in the 2015 World Series. I think they're the team, the 2014 team, that I would compare this Cardinals team to for the run that they had in the second half and then also the way that they play stylistically. We're talking to Ned Yost about that comp coming up at 1130. Jim Bowden, former Major League General Manager, joins the show at noon. And Eddie O, Eddie Olchek, joins the show at 1245 talking about the Blackhawks this season. He, I want to get his perspective on Brandon Saad. So plenty to get into today from 11 to 2. And we got lots of Cardinals between now and the end of the show. Great guests coming up. We'll talk to everybody at 10 on Monday. Have a wonderful weekend on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.